So as I told you, we are stepping back into the Psalms this morning. We're taking a break from our, uh, our journey through the Gospel according to Luke, and we step back into the Psalms. I have a goal that we will preach through the whole book of Psalms. We're going to preach through the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. That's going to take us a long, long time. But this morning, we're, in, we're moving into Psalm 16. So we're at least a good ways in. I mean, we're what? 7% into the book of Psalms. We're doing great. Uh, so with that said, uh, we want to start our study as we step into Psalm 16 this morning by remembering a fundamental principle that we see um, that, that comes out in the New Testament. And the Apostle Peter writes about it in his first letter. Jesus also talks about it as well. Uh, we'll pick up, look, look here, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. We're going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Peter writes this. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this great salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and his great glory after them. Peter here is noting that the Old Testament writers, having the Spirit of Christ, wrote things that were pointing to Jesus. And they wondered about some of the things they were writing, not even fully aware what they were writing, but they were writing about Jesus. Now, Jesus probably, I mean, Peter probably picked up this very idea from Jesus himself. In John chapter 5, we read Jesus saying this to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He tells them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. This is really important, this, I, this truth that, that the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the inspiration uh, infused into the words of the, uh, the Old Testament, well, these words, these scriptures, they point to Jesus. They point to Jesus. So we're going to see that uh, in particular today in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a psalm of David. We've seen many psalms of David up to this point. This one in particular is going to point us to Jesus. And it's going to have something to say to you and me right here on January 1st, 2023. So let's read. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me. It took me forever to turn there. Uh, psalm 16, verse 1. Verse 1. Psalm 16, verse 1. David writes this. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let my faithful one see decay, your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's a wonderful psalm, wonderful psalm. And it starts, it starts right here in verse 1, and it picks up a theme that we've already seen in our study of the psalm some months ago. It's a theme we're going to see uh, in later months and in later years. We're going to see this theme, and this psalm starts out, this song, this prayer of David launches with something we've heard the echoes of already in this, uh, in, in this study. Pick up, just take a look. We're going to highlight that thing that really just pops. It's the thing that really sets the tone for the psalm. He cries out, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. God is refuge. It's a theme we've already seen. I'm telling you, we're going to see it uh, moving forward as well. Here's are some places we've already seen it. So pick up. We're just going to do like just a quick list of scriptures here. So Psalm 5, uh, 11. But let all who take refuge in you... Be glad. Be glad. If you take refuge in the Lord, there is your gladness. Go to the next slide. I just want you to see it part of that whole verse. Uh, Psalm 7-1. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. And then Psalm 9-9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. This is a key theme. This is a key theme throughout the Psalms that in times of trouble, in a world with disease, violence, war... Broken homes, early death, everything that can go wrong, you go and you find refuge and protection with the Lord. This is just a constant theme, particularly from a man who faced a lot of adversity. Did a lot of bad things at times, but also faced a lot of adversity. David says, I take refuge with the Lord. And here in Psalm 16, as that sets the stage for the rest of the song, he's going to give some reasons why you would take refuge in the Lord. And so if we just keep moving through the psalm, just if we just take some highlights along the way. Verse 2, verse 2, right there. Here's a reason that I'm going to take refuge in the Lord. One reason is that apart from you, verse 2, apart from you, I have no good thing. David at some point has recognized that if I take, if I have, if I've gained the whole world, but have, I don't have God, I've got nothing. But if I have God, i got everything I need. At some point, he has figured this out. Probably as he's running for his life, as King Saul pursues him. I bet he's figured this out at some point. That of everything else in the world, if I do not have God, I have nothing. But if I have him, I have everything. This is going to come up in the Psalms again. But it comes up particularly um, explicitly, very much like it is here in Psalm 16. just want to take one reference here. There are many we could use. Let me just pick one. Psalm 73, verse 25. The psalmist here writes, For whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. I'm going to be honest. On verses like that, I wish I could pray that consistently. I don't always want just God. Like today, I want, I don't know, I don't think we have wings, but it would be awesome if we had wings. Wings and some ranch and a football game. Like that's kind of what I want, right? Like that's what I want. 
And my fantasy team's got got all the got all the Buccaneer I got I got all the Buccaneers lined up, but I don't want them to win. But I want all the fantasy points. Like that's kind of what I want. That's what I want today. That's what I want. The psalm. <laughs> the people on the pod can't cannot hear what I just heard, but the chairman of our elders, who I guess he thinks because he's the chairman of the elders, with spiritual authority just said that that won't happen. That that won't happen. I'm going to send you a screenshot later, George, with all my fantasy points. Okay. But seriously, David has figured something out that I desperately want for myself, and maybe you're the same. Like, I want to be able to cry out, apart from you, there is no good thing. Or here, Psalm 73 25, like, of everything else on earth, I desire you most. Like, that's where I want to get. And here, as we move into Psalm 16, he cries out, God, you are my refuge. Well, it would make sense that God's his refuge if he is at a place where he realizes, apart from God, there's no good thing. Well, then you would go to God for your refuge. Another part of God being his refuge is the fact that God has established a holy people. And he actually likes spending time with God's people. He has found delight being with God's chosen people. Right there, verse 3. Now, there are some questions on translations, uh, on the translation. Uh, let's move on. Psalms, uh, Psalm 16, verse 3. There it is. Um, the computer has a mind of its own. It's okay. Um, is, there's some translation issues here, but the NIV probably nails it here. Because there's some questions about what the noble ones, how you would translate that. And even here on holy people, there is a, there is a differing translation here and interpretation. This actually speaks to the false gods of the land. But I think the NIV's got it right here. That really where David has landed here in verse, 20, verse 3 is crying out about his delight in God's people. And so here he says of God's holy people... These noble ones, he delights being with them. He delights. They are his delight. And so, so when he thinks about going to God as his refuge, he recognizes there's nothing else good but God and being with God's people who also take refuge in the Lord. Another part of, of uh, kind of as you move forward, as you move on in, in Psalm 16, another part of taking refuge in the Lord, well, is the fact that there's an inheritance. Oh, there's a delightful inheritance. God has actually set a place for His people to live, and that is a delightful place to live. It is their inheritance. That is part of taking refuge in the Lord. Uh, pick up here, because there's something we want to recognize in this verse. Verse 6. So He talks about this place, this, this land here, but He talks about it, David refers to it as the boundary line. And these boundary lines have been set in such a way that, it, that they mark off this delightful inheritance to God's people. And David here is no doubt referring to the actual uh, division, the distribution of the land of Israel that happens as they move into the promised land after coming out of Egypt. So literally, the land gets divided up among the tribes of Israel. The boundary lines have literally fallen over the land. And David considers that inheritance, the hand, this land flowing with milk and honey, this is a delightful inheritance. But for David, there is more here. Now, one scholar picks this up, and I just want to quote him, so just to be concise. He says this on this note about the boundary lines. He says, the boundary lines refer to the survey of the land to mark off tribal inheritances. 
But they are also used metaphorically to describe the fellowship with God that the psalmist enjoys. The land, the land that the people get is never just about grass and mountains and rocks and produce and wine and olive oil. It's never just about those things. The land is always about where God will dwell with his people. And so when David refers to the boundary lines falling uh, in such a way where this delightful inheritance for David, it's not just a literal piece of land, it's where God dwells. And for him, that is a delight to be where God dwells. So important to understand. David actually, actually likes being with God. And for him, God's there in the land. He's among his people. There is nothing else good on earth compared to God. And he's right here dwelling with his people. He delights here. There is, there is pleasure and delight and joy in God's presence. And, and here, metaphorically speaking, it's where the boundary lines have fallen. There would be no surprise then that David ends the psalm as he does. As this theme just gets woven into this song which we call Psalm 16. Check this out. Verse 11. This is the last part of verse 11. Look how he ends it. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Like pleasures. Like, like, like God actually is in the business of giving us pleasures. They happen to be in His presence. That's where all pleasure lives eternally. Go grab a pleasure outside of God's presence. Go try to have pleasure bent in a way God never intended it. You get pleasure, but it will not last. But with God are eternal pleasures forevermore. David connects joy and delight and pleasure and God's presence. Now this is going to come up again in the Psalms, but there's another Psalm of David. We'll get to it uh, at some point. Psalm 36, I want you to see how he ties those together. I just, for, at some level, I just wanted you to see these, these verses. They're so good, so rich. Psalm 36, verse 7 through 8. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance in your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. What a wonderful imagery. Man, I want to grow into the kind of person that, that knows this in a way that I don't here in 2023. That, I want to get there. I want to get there. Where I see God as refuge. So much so understanding that there is no, nothing good compared to God. That with Him, in His presence, where the boundary lines have fallen in my life, that's where delight and pleasure and joy are. David is, at least in this moment, by inspiration, he's tapping in to some eternal truths. And he's worked them out here in this psalm. But there is one more thing. There is one more thing that is in the presence of God that we better not miss. It sits as the crux of the whole psalm. Eternal life is in the presence of God. Death has no power in God's presence. David picks up on this. Very important. These are some of the most important verses right here in the psalm. Psalm uh, 16, but we'll pick up. Did I just lose? Did I just lose? Nope, I'm back. Okay. 
Uh, let's pick up the last part of verse 9 and verse 10. Here it is. Right here in the middle of all this talk of refuge and God's people and God's presence where He lives, where we dwell with God, and just right on the cusp of acknowledging uh, joy and delight and pleasure in His presence, right here, He writes, My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. There is everlasting life in the presence of God. There is no death. But there's a twist. And I'm going ahead and just wrote this out. I do not want us to miss it. This is so vital so that you and I will understand the heartbeat of Psalm 16. Here it is. I want to make note of this. What David is saying is true. In God's presence, death has no power. But here, David is no longer talking about himself. Psalm 16 is a song someone else will sing. The person that's going to sing it is the faithful one of God whose body will not see decay. David could not sing this song. David died. His body was buried and his body decayed. David could not sing this song. Someone else would sing it. You remember how we started just a few minutes ago. We read from 1 Peter, and then we also read the words of Jesus. And what these two people said, what Peter, really uh, jumping on what Jesus himself said in John 5, is that the Old Testament writers, by the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ, were writing things that pointed to Jesus. So who's the faithful one that would never see decay? That would be Jesus. Jesus sings Psalm 16. Jesus fills out Psalm 16 in a way that no one else ever has. David may sing part of this song, but David never felt all this song. Jesus sang this song. Jesus perfectly delighted in the presence of God the Father. Jesus perfectly took refuge in God the Father. Jesus alone perfectly understood that on earth there is nothing good but God. Years ago, when David saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof, he wasn't singing Psalm 16. He thought there was something else good, not God. Jesus perfectly fills out Psalm 16. He fulfills it in a way because he's the faithful one who never saw decay. Now, here's the thing, y'all. Everything I just said in that last minute, I'm just, I'm, I'm literally, I'm just plagiarizing the New Testament. I didn't come up with that on my own. In the first Christian sermon, I'm saying like the first time the gospel was ever preached, Peter in Jerusalem preaching the first Christian gospel. Like this is it. This is the moment like the universe has been waiting for of all the things that he could he could use to declare the gospel of Jesus. The longest quotation from the Old Testament that Peter uses is Psalm 16. This Psalm Peter uses by inspiration to declare Jesus is the faithful one that David looked forward to. All right. 
going to quote at length. It's like four slides of this passage. Here it is. First Christian sermon. Peter in Jerusalem. We're picking up in the middle of the sermon. Peter says. Faithful Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Shake. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. The one David talks about, the holy one, the faithful one, that wasn't David, it was Jesus. David looked forward to a day where this psalm would be fulfilled in a way he never could. And here's where this reaches me. Here's the thing that makes Psalm 16 so difficult for me, at least. I don't resonate with Psalm 16. I've already told you, there are a lot of other things that I want. I often find that my heart is looking for a lot of other places, a lot of other good in places except God. Like... I don't always feel like all pleasure is in God's presence. I don't always take refuge in the Lord when times of trouble come. Like, that's just, like, I don't always feel Psalm 16. I want to sing it, but I don't always, well, no, I don't even want to. That's what I'm getting at. Like, sometimes I want to want to sing it. I, I don't feel this psalm, and I can't sing it perfectly. But here's the good news. If you're connected to Jesus, Psalm 16 becomes your song. You, connected to Jesus, you will not see decay. You will live forever and ever in His presence. You, who fail and mess up and don't always trust God perfectly, when you're connected to Jesus, saved by grace, through faith, you having His righteousness imputed to you so that God sees you as righteous as His Son, you get to sing that song even when you're not perfect. I can sing Psalm 16 because I'm connected to the One who sang it perfectly. So even when I mess up, His blood covers my mess-ups. Psalm 16 is my song. But man, I don't always feel it. But I praise God that with Jesus, it's now mine. And I get all the promises wrapped up in it. So I know that in 50 years, I'm assuming I'm not going to live past 50 more years. Maybe I will, but we'll go with 50. In 50 years, I'm going to know Psalm 16 in a way that I don't know it now. I won't be looking forward to a football game in 50 years. 
Because I will be in God's presence. Where there is a river of delights. Where there are pleasures forevermore. That's where we're going. In Christ. So man, that's our song. Because that's Jesus' song. So here's where the application hits. What are some ways that you and I can get to a place where we grow in faith, we grow in joy? Like, that's what I want. At least I want to want it. How do we do that? I got two really practical things. And you've heard them ad nauseum. So get ready. Repetition's a good teacher. Application one. Here it is. Hang out with Christians regularly, particularly on Sunday morning. Just hang out with Christians. Like, this is really important. There's a reason that David connected enjoying God, taking refuge in the Lord, and delighting in his people. There's always been a connection between faith and being with God's people. This Christian thing is not a solo act. We need each other. And there's a reason, by the way, that most of the time, most of the time, you feel better after coming to church. Because something happens when you're with God's people. It's not magic. It's part of the way God set this thing up. So hang out with other Christians. All right, second point. Here it is. Read the Bible daily. Read daily. I, I, I want you to understand, I'm not saying be superhuman and read like 11 chapters a day. I was talking to someone recently and they told me that they pull up the Bible app, this version Bible app, and there there's a verse of the day and there's often a video, like a two-minute devotion, and that's their Bible reading. Now, if this whole thing was about the, qual- the quantity of your reading, so you and I can be super Christians, then I'd look at that person and say, come on, weak one, you need to do more than just a verse of the day. Now, in some ways, yeah, we need to do more than the verse of the day. But in other ways, no, stay there and let God move. God will move in that. We need God's Word. You've heard me say this multiple times, but I'm going to say it again. It always is interesting to me that those going through a very difficult moment in their life who are struggling in faith and bemoaning that struggle are often the same people who don't come to church or don't read the Bible. And there is a connection to how you and I walk through trials and how much of God's Word is inside of us. There really is a correlation to this. Let me show you two, two places where we see it. Just two. I'm just going to go with two. Uh, we'll put that slide up. So John 15, I want you to see this. Jesus speaking, he says this, one that we may not think about, but look at what he says. He says, I have told you. Now, told is... A verb connected to word. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, you know, we're talking about Jesus. Like, Jesus could just, like, infuse you with joy. Like, bam, feel joyful. Like, just, that's it. Like, it's just going to happen. But what did Jesus do? He speaks a word. And he says, now that I've spoke a word, Now you have joy in you. There's a connection between what Jesus speaks and what happens inside of us. Oh, if he wanted to just snap his finger and make you feel joyful, he could have done it. But he speaks a word. There's a correlation between God's word inside of you and your joy. There's a connection. 
And then Romans 10:17, Paul writes this, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Want more faith? Get more Bible. Now, please understand, it's not like a, a one-to-one formula. It's not like, I just read the whole book of Hebrews. Why is life still stink? Like, that's not, we're not, this isn't, again, this isn't just a matter of, like, making, like, God's not a vending machine. He's not Santa. You just can't, you can't just, like, push a button and all of it happens. But there's a correlation between the Word of God in you and the faith that emerges. So read the Bible daily. You know that brings me to a next step. Okay, don't put it up yet. Oh, man, no, pull it down, pull it down. Really want to build up to it. Really want to build up to it because no one knows where it's going. I know I've really hid this well. It's January 1st. It's the start of the year. I'm preaching a sermon with a concrete next step. I've been pushing a particular thing for the last couple weeks, and it's January 1st. Here we go. Start a daily Bible reading plan. You didn't know it was coming, did you? I was like, I really got you. Okay. All right. And so, you know, as a church family, we're doing one of these. Let's put that up. I just want to um, continue to be a marketer. Um, so we're doing a Bible plan called the One Year Bible. So it, it's just a way of cutting up the scriptures so that you can read them in one year. All right? Uh, there are some plans where you read it literally Genesis uh, to Revelation, just one fell swoop. We got done reading a plan where it was chronological. So there were times where you were in, like, First and Second Kings. You were in First and Second Samuel. But every once in a while, you would break from that book and you would read, like, Psalms connected to David. So it was chronological. This one, this plan, is a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the New Testament, a Psalm, and a Proverb. So there are four readings every day. Now, we use, uh, many of us are using um, a, uh, an app on our, our phones. It's the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, and you can actually follow along the plan. Literally, you open up day one and you just, it just has each scripture tie, uh, tied there for you. You can listen to it. You can read it. You scroll on your phone. And when you're done with Genesis 1, you click the little next button and it'll take you to Genesis 2. When you're done with Genesis 2, it'll take you to Matthew 1. I mean, it'll, just, it'll, flip, it'll flip through the Bible for you. Now, some of you don't want to read on a phone. You don't want to listen on a phone. That plan is also a physical Bible. So literally, January 1st in the Bible is Genesis 1. And then, from Genesis 1, you go to Genesis 2, and then there's Matthew 1. For those of you who have been reading the Bible for many years, a physical Bible. Just want to again say, Matthew 1 is right there. I know you're wanting Matthew to be like here. Matthew 1 is here, because every day the scriptures for that plan are laid out. And so you just literally just read, okay, I've done my reading plan. So this is not the Bible you would use to, to, to um, do a reference study. You wouldn't bring it in here and say, Psalm 16, and open to the middle. I have no idea where Psalm 16 is. It's probably somewhere around here, okay? You can get one of these. I, I, I'm making a big push here, because uh, this might be really helpful. Then... Every day, uh, we're using this other book, and you could use this book alone. Like, just use this book. This book, Praying Through the Bible for Your Kids. You literally open it up January 1st. It has the readings for that day. Like, right here. Just list them. So you'd have to get a Bible and, like, read those, okay? But then, the author of this book has taken one passage out of that day's reading and has a reflection about what that means for our families, kids in our lives, and for you as, a, as an adult that has some influence on kids. 
and then there's a prayer. I want to read that to you today, okay? Just so you can get a feel for it. Today was Genesis 1. Do you remember what happens in Genesis 1? Yeah, the world comes into existence. And there was darkness, and in the darkness, God speaks light. In the chaos, God brings order. The author reflects on that passage, Genesis 1, 1, verses 1 and 2. And then she has some reflection. Here's the prayer. You could insert yourself, your kids, right here. And what I want to do, I didn't even think about this, but let's just do this. It's not necessarily tied into Psalm 16, but who cares? I'm preaching. I get to make the decisions. We're just going to end with this prayer this morning, okay? So let's bow our heads. We'll pray. Here's the prayer. It comes out of our plan. I'm just encouraging you. Grab a book. Grab a Bible. Read through the Bible. Here it is. Creator, we need you. We need you to do a creative work in our home that only you can do. We need your spirit to hover as we open your word day by day this coming year. Let there be light in our home. May it penetrate the dark corners and expose what is hidden. Bring order to our disordered ways of relating to each other and to you. Fill up the empty places with your beauty and life. As parents, we don't have the power to create spiritual life in our children. Only you can do that. So won't you do your creative work in, name the child, shape his life or her life into something beautiful for your glory. Enlighten his or her eyes to see you. Fill his or her life with your good gifts. I will add, would you do it in our church family as well? And may Psalm 16 become our psalm too. We pray that all under him who is the faithful one who did not see decay, Jesus our Lord and Savior. And together we say, Amen.